Thank you so much for joining me for this Aspire Lead episode with the fantastic Dr. Brenda Diaz. She is an executive principal in Nashville, Tennessee, and she is one of the featured speakers for Tunnels School Leaders Bootcamp, which is actually happening in less than a week. I can't believe it. March 3rd and 4th, there's going to be so many fantastic leaders speaking, but Dr. Brenna Diaz is talking through a lot of the things that she's implementing on her campus, which is in regards to restorative and trauma-informed practices. We also talk about how she's really trying to find equal representation of teachers on her campus and some of the struggles that she's had to work through throughout the years. She has a giant heart and a love for her students. This episode is sponsored by Toddle. Toddle is an all-in-one teaching and learning platform used by over 40,000 educators around the world. This year, Toddle is hosting the largest virtual gathering for school leaders across the globe this week. So on March 3rd and 4th, we're going to have so many fantastic speakers. We've got Stephen Covey, George Kuros, Seth Godin, Diane Tavner, and of course, my guest this evening, Dr. Brenda Diaz. This event's going to have over 5,000 plus school leaders, experts all over the world at School Leaders Bootcamp. Make sure you're coming to this event to learn, connect, and grow with your professional learning network. You can get your free pass now by clicking the link in the show notes or at joshtamper.com. There are going to be so many amazing presentations at this event, and one of them is, of course, my guest this evening, and we're going to jump into the conversation right after this intro. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire to Lead, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua Double underscore Stamper. Brenda, I am so happy to talk with you. Thank you so much for being on the Aspire to Lead podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here with you. Well, you are going to be talking about some of my favorite topics. I'm downright giddy before the conversation has even started. So before we get into some of the building of relationships, trauma-informed practices, and restorative strategies, will you just share a little bit about your educational and leadership journey? Sure. Well, first of all, again, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I, I'm always excited to talk about teaching, learning, and loving kids. So it's, it's just always a great opportunity to do that. My leadership journey is one that First of all, I'm a first-generation college student, so I have witnessed firsthand the beauty and the power of having an equitable uh, education that surrounds you with caring adults and what that benefit could be. So because of that journey, I actually was not intended to become a teacher, but it kind of pushed me that way as I got older in life. So after being in the classroom for about, I guess, 12, 13 years as an English teacher on the secondary level, I moved into coaching teachers, and then, of course, the natural progression went into serving as the assistant principal for a few years, and now I've been having the honor of serving in the role of lead teacher, or what people like to call the principal of a building, for about 10 years now. So, all total, I uh, have been in education for about 28 years, um, and primarily in urban uh, schools with, um, so I like to say the students who who really need caring and loving uh, adults who who really push that temperature up for them and give them examples that they can be what they see in front of them. So that I, I really tried to be the kind of teacher that I had as a teacher and continue to move our kids forward with their dreams and hopes. So 
that's that's pretty much my story. I absolutely love it. And you're going to be speaking at the Tunnel event, the school leaders boot camp, in just a couple of weeks here. It's going to be March 3rd. Yeah. I can't wait for your session. We just speak real quick about what you're going to be sharing at that event. Well, primarily, I'm I'm going to be talking about some practical ways that school leaders can pretty much ensure a climate or a culture in their building that really prioritize relationships with students and really understand that our students have some real traumas that impact how they show up and how they interact with us in the building. But not only what our students have encountered, but also what our educators have encountered. So really putting the foundations in place to create an environment where kids can learn by, first of all, knowing that you care about them and that you love them, but then also knowing that adults need caring, loving relationships as well. Because we all come with something, right, that has impacted our lives either in a positive way or a negative way. So how as school leaders, we can create those environments where everyone thrives and move towards their passions and can help each other move forward to where they want to go. So that's pretty much what my conversation will be about, some of the practical moves that a leader can make to, to kind of create those environments or set conditions in those environments. Well, Brenda, I love the fact that you're not only speaking on the student relationships, but also with those adults that are in the buildings. I mean, you've been doing it for a little while now as far as a, a building leader. So what are some practical strategies that you have really found to, to help your culture in regards to building relationships with students and with the adults? I think one of the things, Joshua, that I've learned through hard lessons as a building leader, because, you know, when you learn a lot in leadership programs, not always what shows up in the building, right? You know, you you get all of these things that they say a building leader need to make sure that the books are issued, the buses are on time, all the operational things, right, that make you a good leader. Perfect. But I can say through my experience and through one of a couple of leadership programs that I I had an opportunity to to learn from was the importance of building quality relationships. But the first step in a good relationship, first of all, is that you have to know yourself. Before you can know others, you have to be very comfortable with who you are. So one of the things that an effective leader that I have kind of learned in my journey is that I have to show up every day as my authentic self. And sometimes that's the good, the bad, and the ugly. So I, I give myself permission to give grace, but I also give myself permission to seek grace. So when I am doing something well, I'm like, hey, you did that, girl. You did that right. Y'all was a great one today. But then there are times where I've just missed the mark with my team, with my students, with my parents, at was in your office. So I'm the first one to go, hey, I dropped the ball on that. I need some help or some assistance. So I show up in my, with my authentic self by being vulnerable enough to say, this was good, this was not so good, and how can we repair it? So I think that's one of the biggest steps that a leader can do, that if you could just show up and be your authentic self, then people will begin to trust you. You know, and you can't can't show people who you really are. They don't know who to trust because they don't know who's going to show up every day. You're like a Jekyll and a Hyde. So um, I think that has been one of the key lessons um, that just being who you are um, has been very important to me as a leader. And then the other thing is just meeting people where they are and trying to create a culture where it's okay to say that I don't know something and I need help with that. Um, and that's hard for students, uh, and that's hard for adults who teach students um, to, to say there is something that I'm struggling with and being okay with 
feedback that's positive or growth feedback. I don't say negative feedback. I say growth feedback. So to be able to sit in a space where you can constantly say, I need to learn how to grow in this and get better at that. So those are just two of the tidbits that I think have kind of made my journey still enjoyable because you can lose your passion for something when you're not your true self. And when you're not creating this idea that I can grow from feedback, whether it's uh, positive or whether it's a growth feedback, I think those are two of the uh, tips that I'm going to touch on in my conversation and just what I've learned in my leadership journey. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. You had spoken a little bit about the trauma that you've seen on your campus with both not only the students, but with the adults. And I, I love what you were talking about, too, in, in regards to when you were making a mistake, trying to repair the relationship or the mistake or whatnot. Right. So, you know, for the trauma informed practices that you have on your campus, what were some things that you have been implementing to help with the scars and, and maybe the baggage that's coming in every single day into the classroom? You know, what is so interesting about what we learned in this journey after and during COVID is that our students and in the adults as well and, and myself as well, we definitely want to belong. And when I say belonging, it's not just about people knowing your name or we all go to the same school or we go to the same church or we got the same ball team. No, this idea of belonging in that I can be my authentic self and I got people around me, maybe not a lot, of, not a lot of people, but I really have a core group of people around me who, who really see me, love me, and care for me. So I think with our, what our culture has been doing is really listening to our students because our students are the ones who can tell us best what they need. So one of the things that we do, we have student voice sessions, and I actually sit in on those sessions, but then sometimes I dismiss myself from the sessions and then allow them to send representatives to me to share with me what it is that they are needing or what is working well and what's not working well. And what comes from those sessions are some things that I can do real quickly. For instance, one of the things that came from one of the voice sessions, which I had no idea because I had never missed a place like that, was the boys' restroom. They mentioned that they they needed dividers near their urinals, right? I was like, well, I'm a mother of three daughters. I don't really know what they need in a restroom because I see everything from my purview. And so, but they wanted the dividers uh, near the urinals. And I'm like, is that a thing? That's like, yeah, that dividers, that's a thing. So I immediately was like, well, let's see, can we get that fixed? And we got it done in less than a week. And you, it was so amazing what that meant to the students. So to have a small win, some things you can do, that are this doesn't cost you anything some things are long term but then there are some things that you just can't do so being honest and saying hey i I can do this but i can't give you an extended hour lunch off campus across town every day i can't do that so in giving kids the why so having those uh genuine conversations and then coming back to students and saying hey you ask this what we did it builds trust then they are more willing to share more of what they need and it is not always so surface sometimes it's become really things that they begin to think of ideas like one thing that we're working on that came from our students is they want a 
a peer-to-peer mentor program where our senior students mentor some of the uh, ninth graders. And that's something they're working on. They just wanted to know, is this something they could do? And I'm like, sure, you all want to mentor and reach down each one, teach one. So they are working on those ideas. So now it's not so much about me, me, me. Now it's more about how can I build more community, more belonging with my peers? So that's the beauty of being able to listen to kids and then giving them some of the things that they ask for. Then they begin to really create and identify real problems around this idea of belonging, around this idea about community. So I, I, just being able to sit and listen to them has been one of the ways that we've been able to create more belonging in our school. I think it's extremely powerful and giving them the autonomy in that. I mean, I can only yeah. imagine how it's shifted the culture in a positive way. You had talked about a little bit on, you know, student voice and, and allowing students to have ownership of different things. I want to know about the restorative practices that you've got going on, because I know, you know, there's variations of different things occurring in every single campus and people are, are pulling different strategies here and there. And there are different tiers within those practices. But I'm curious on what you do on your campus in regards to student behavior with restorative practices. You know, I've been now at my school for about six years, and we are a big picture learning school. So everything about our design, our school has been in existence now since 2007 as a big picture learning school. So we are unique in that our school is around relationships, rigor, and relevance. Um, So everything we do is through the purview of the student in the center of everything. So when we started to really look under rods, Joshua, about, okay, we say we're restorative. Are we really restorative? Or is this just one of the taglines that we like to say? So because I'm the kind of leader I am, I'm like, if you say it, then there should be some evidence. If there is no evidence, then is this something we really want to be? Or is it just something that's cute that goes along with the mantra that, that we say we are, but we're not? So when we started to really, as a leadership team, begin to look around what it meant to be restorative, we realized that our discipline didn't align with that. We were suspending kids. We were being very punitive with our students. So it took some time to step back and retrain ourselves and really learn more about what it meant to be restorative. And what what we've done now is that we have really invested resources, not only in the physical of our building, we have a serenity room, which is like our restorative practice center, but we also have a restorative practice assistant. Um, we have invested in having a social worker. We have two counselors on campus. And we have a full advisory program where all of our kids are with an advisor for at least two years. But what's beautiful is we, we are more proactive in our responses. Kids do bad things in school. They don't always follow the student code of conduct. So we really, really teach and reteach ourselves on how do we intervene and how do we respond when students do negative things or things that are not positive. And what we discovered is a lot of the things that our kids do are lower level offenses, right? They are doing things like, oh, they took the cell phone out in class. Oh, they're sleeping in class. Oh, they had some snack. They're tardy for class. Most of the things are, I'm like, come on, guys, this is like speeding five miles down the road over and the cop stops you. We don't have to just jump at them and go, oh, that's ISF, that's OSS. So stepping back and saying, okay, let's figure out the why. Why are you late for class? Why are you eating in class? Why is your phone out in class when your teacher has asked you not to do this? 
So having those conversations with kids and then asking why has led to a culture of, I know that the office is not a place that I need to be afraid of anymore. I know I can ask to go speak to my counselor if I'm having a day or a moment in the morning time. Greeting kids in the morning as they enter the building is our counselor who can get a feel and a temperature of what's going on with the kids. Uh, having advisory every morning where everybody does morning circles or what we call a pick-me-up where we, we do these check-ins. Uh, every Friday we have a regular family Friday where in advisory there may be pizza parties, may there, there may be birthday celebrations. There, uh, we have us, uh, NCL or social emotional learning groups that target our African-American female students, our young men. So we just do all of these things. We just don't have the same kind of discipline issues that we once had because we are being proactive around relationship building and around building community. If I can say amen, I will do that because you are speaking my language. I love everything you were talking about. You had mentioned relationship circles. I had that implemented on our campus several years ago. And then also, of course, it, in turn, it helped with when a student had to actually participate in a restorative circle. They already kind of knew what the system and procedures were because they had done something on the proactive side of the relationship. Correct. So, mm. you know, for someone who's listening and may not know that term, you know, what is relationship circles for you? And, you know, how is that implemented on your campus? So sometimes the uh, the restorative circles are, are student driven where they will say, is it okay if I have a circle with my peer? Is it okay if I have a circle with you, Dr. Brenda? Because I, I'm i feeling some kind of way. You know, I've had students to call me in for a circle. And so we we don't just have, just come on in, let's just have a powwow or reality TV show moment. No, that's not what a circle is. There is some pre-work to the circle so that everyone knows what's expected of them. And the RP assistant leaves that circle with those uh, dedicated questions so we can all stay on top and focused on the conversation so it doesn't get into one of those moments that we see on television sometimes. So it's pretty much a very well-focused, organized approach to having a conversation regarding um, a conflict or a grievance in some cases where students, peer-to-peer, peer-to-teacher, or teach, I've had restorative circles with teacher-to-teacher, and, and when we leave there, we walk away knowing that our voices have all been heard. Hopefully we can come to a resolution about what we will do moving forward. But even if we can't come to a resolution, at least you know that you've had a space to air that space. And there may be more opportunities later to get to resolution. And we do those conversations and those circles in our serene room. So it's a very neutral space. When we have those conversations and, and, and parents sometimes come, depending on what the the uh, conflict is. But I think what is making successful is the pre-work. And that pre-work, when it's not done, oh my goodness, the circle is going to go off the hinge. And it's not going to have the results that you want it to have. So that's why it's important to train the students and make sure they are aware of what a circle is and what you're hoping to accomplish with it. Yeah, I can attest to the not doing the pre-circle meetings prior to it going terribly, terribly wrong. So I will back him up on that uh, piece of advice because if you you don't do the work prior to a lot of expectations and understanding um, or even just accepting the fact that they did something incorrect and taking ownership of that um, doesn't occur. 
uh, the circle will not be effective. So uh, love what you're doing on your campus in regards to restorative practices. I want to touch on one last thing that you were extremely passionate about, which I absolutely love, which is the equity piece and, you know, really increasing that diversity in regards to the teachers on your campus to really fit the needs of your students. And that was something that I always was extremely passionate about too, because I always felt like there just wasn't the same percentage of our kids identify with people who they look like and have similar experiences with. And that, that just didn't match. So what are you doing on your campus? And what are some ways that you've brainstormed to kind of work through increasing the diversity on your campus? Well, our student population is about 77% African-American, 12% Hispanic. And with that, I knew personally, I went to a historical black college, you know. So I know personally how important it is to see representation, especially if you have not been fortunate enough to have that representation of what you are trying to achieve in your immediate family or in your community. You may not see anyone except someone in a schoolhouse. So for for me, it's very personal to try to find educators, first of all, who have a journey that may not be all American middle class, but may have had some challenges from an economically disadvantaged background, or maybe or it may be a first-generation college student or maybe connected someone who's had that journey. You may be the next one in line because of where you are now, uh, which is my daughter's stories. You know, they are now next in line, but they are connected to me, so they know that journey. So for me, sitting in, the, in a role of being able to hire and to increase that representation in our school building, I take it very seriously because I think that's, if I wanted to digress a little bit about what do, does a leader do, finding people who care and love kids is also one of your best and most important works that you do. And it's been hard to find African-American teachers and uh, Hispanic teachers to show up in buildings now. So one of the things that we're doing is we have real world learning in our building every Tuesdays and Thursdays where our kids are in internships in local schools, local businesses of interest and passions that they have. We have students who want to teach. I'm like, you're in 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade, you're working at daycares, you want to go and work over here, you're at, at middle school, elementary school. They have a love for teaching and learning. So one of the things that we try to do is, so that we can drop those seeds, is trying to really give them a pathway. How can you move from this internship to what's going to happen next for you? Will that be going on to college and pursuing a degree in education? And if so, what are your options? Making those connections for them. So that's one way that I'm trying to like grow your own. We've been working with our career and technology department where some of our seniors now are actually being paid to do educational assistant roles in local schools. So that's one way that I'm like, okay, the pool is is kind of small. How can we grow our own with that, right? It's like a selfish kind of role. This kid wants to teach. Oh, let's see, can we give him some money to be an educational assistant and, and keep feeding that passion? But also when we are recruiting new hires, I'm at every new hiring event, I'm looking for that candidate who's going to come into our building after American male teachers. I'm looking for them. I'm recruiting. I'm I'm reaching out to other teachers colleagues, do you have any teachers? Do you know of anyone who's interested? I'm just being very intentional around that. There are sometimes when there's concerns about licensures, passing the test, 
How can we support you in that? What can we do to get you to certification? What, you know, what obstacles can we help you cross with that? Do you need time for study? Do you need PD time? You know, the district offers support in that way. How can I support you in getting to that training or getting to that study session? Do I need to study with you if you're trying to do English? Or I know a math teacher in the building. You know, we do whatever. If you say this is a need, then you just got to be innovative. And then once they're in your building, wow, keeping them. So you have to be available to hear what those needs are, to see where you can meet them with their social emotional supports, making sure that that you put the right teacher with them and not a complainer. So you keep going to keep them and secure them in this profession. And I'm like, can I get you just to stay with me for two years? I'm I'm just like a starving girlfriend or something. Can you just stay with me for two years, please, please, please? So. Yeah, so those are things that I'm doing. I, I, I'm just really passionate about making sure that our kids have the right representation because it feeds what's going to happen for them when they have an adult who knows them and who sees them because their journeys are similar. 100%. I can only imagine people are just flocking to work with you, Brenda. You have it the right way. I, I love everything that you're saying right now. You talked about you know, finding people that love kids. And I think you, that's one thing you can't teach, right? You can teach them how to teach in the classroom, some behavior management strategies. But when it comes to loving kids, that's something that 100% needs to occur from day one. So, right. so important. And I love what you're doing on your campus in words of, of trying to find diversity for your students. It is something that's extremely impactful for, for your mm-hmm. students, for your kids every single day. So I want to ask you a question that I ask all of my guests and it's in regards to your expertise and wisdom. So for our aspiring and current leaders that are listening, if they're to do something tomorrow or next week to enhance their leadership journey, what would you recommend? Well, 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 I'm thinking about my current assistant principal who's uh, about to, he's an aspiring principal program. And we have these conversations. He's been my AP now for about four years. And I'm so proud of uh, where he's about to move forward because that's one of my aspirations to be a leader of leaders. And if I'm not doing the work well, then I know I'm not doing it well if I'm not producing other leaders. And what I tell him all the time is be true to who you are. Remember that at the end of the day, you have to make hard decisions, but be okay to look in that mirror at the end of every day and say, okay, I I, I think I made the right decision right here. So what does your heart tell you about some of the hard decisions you're going to make around the people that you serve every day? And even if you're taking a risk that you know the people above you are going to disagree and you know that's the right decision, then be okay with making that decision, even if it does not reap you the benefits that you think it's going to reap you. I was in a conversation with some colleagues last week, and one of the things that the gentleman wrote back to me, and I'm going to use his quote, he said that you encouraged me and inspired me because even though you may not be swimming and reaching your destination, it's okay to swim upstream. And so sometimes in in this work, you're, you're literally swimming against the current because of all the noise. But the goal is to keep swimming towards what it is you believe about educating and loving kids. And we have a lot of noise as leaders. You're, you you know, a lot of standardized tests, a lot of check this box. Just this. So at the end of the day, you got to have to 
like dig in around the things you believe in. So be very clear about what you believe in about students and how you feel about this work of teaching and learning and loving kids, because that will make all the difference when you make those hard decisions, even when those are decisions that the powers that be say, "Mm -hmm, don't do that. Mm -hmm, Don't say that. You gotta, you gotta be courageous in that. Yep. You gotta own your convictions, your values, and your passions. There you go. Now, that go the t-shirt right there, Joshua. You just said it. You just said it. That's the next presentation, Joshua. Oh, I love it, Brenda. I want our listeners to be able to connect with you because, you know, I know there's so many folks that want additional information about everything that you've been speaking about. So how can they connect with you on social media? Well, I am on LinkedIn and I'm also on Twitter at Dr. Brenda Diaz Lead. So those are my only two social media platforms. I have not jumped into TikTok and Instagram or I don't do the Facebooking because I'm an in-person kind of person. (laughs) But those are the two uh, social media platforms that I visit regularly. And we're going to have that in the show notes for everyone. So uh, definitely connect with Brenda on Twitter and LinkedIn. And if you have any questions, please reach out. She is a plethora of information and experience. She will definitely help you in any way possible, of course. Join her session March 3rd and 4th. Toddle has a wonderful event, School Leaders Boot Camp. It is free. You can click the link in the show notes or on my website, joshtamper.com, and get your free pass today. Brenda, it has been a joy to learn about your journey and all the wonderful things you're doing on your campus. Thank you so much for not only being on the podcast, but what you do for so many students and your community. Thank you so much for having me again.